Good morning and welcome to our morning service. Good to have you here with us this morning as we come to worship the Lord together. Good to have the folks on Zoom joining us as well. We're glad to have with us this morning Pastor Stephen Hamburger. And uh, we've had him here before, some of you remember. And he remember he had told us that he was raised in Zilda, which is not too far away here. But those were a few years ago, he has said. He will come now and lead us in prayer, read scripture. Would you uh, look with me as we turn to... Uh... The Gospel of uh, John, chapter 13, reading verses 1 to 17. John, chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. The supper being ended, the devil now having put, uh, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he ariseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and Master have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. May the Lord add the blessing that he has in his word to our hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, 
We thank you for holy times when we can come into your presence, when we can feel that you are in us, with us, for us. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for being the God who has come to us in Jesus, that we might know through his actions and through his words the way unto you. Forgive us our sins. Cleanse us from all that is sin against you and sins, sins against the community around us, even sins against ourselves. We thank you, Father, that we can worship you this day in spirit and in truth, in freedom. We pray, Father, for the leaders of our land, that you might grant them your guidance. As you have asked us to, to pray for them, we want to commit them into your hand that there might be peace within our land, that we might continue to have freedom to be the people you want us to be, not only by how we live, but how we care for others and share the gospel. We remember the burdens of our world. We remember those that are in armed conflict in Gaza, in the Ukraine in so many other parts of the world. For those that seek to live Jesus day by day, may they have opportunity to share the story of Jesus through brokenness in our world. Thank you for those that have gone from this place, those that we are aware of that are sharing as missionaries and as leaders and as those just as ordinary but effective people planting the word of God in so many parts, schools, homes of employment, both abroad and also within this community. We thank you, Father, for also hearing us as we pray for those who are not well and those who are facing things that involve our bodies and our future our strength and health. We commit those needs into your hands. Truly, you are the God who provides. And we say thank you, Lord, for being the God who provides for us in this abundant land where we do have so much but feel that sometimes we just have too little. We thank you that we can look to what you have done and say thanks be to God. Once again, as we come before you, Lord, may you speak into our lives as we share in these moments of worship. May the words of our mouths, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. It is in the worthy name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. John chapter 13. Let us bow in a word of prayer as we commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, 
This is your word. You have inspired people of old. Take your thoughts. Put those words into place as you design. That has been a part of speaking into into human life for generations. We pray, Father, that once again your Holy Spirit will do that work that we might have open eyes, that in this story we might see Jesus high and lifted up. Cause us, O Lord, to be ready to open all of our lives to what you would have us to hear, feel, believe, to do. We commit these moments into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Unusual title, isn't it? Feeling the kiss of God. I usually like unusual titles. And we don't necessarily often think in those kinds of intimate words, a kiss. Linda and I were down in in Toronto just recently, and when we said goodbye to some of the friends were there, there was a friend that we had met uh, more formally this time than ever before, but he was Italian. So he wouldn't just care for a handshake or bye-bye. It had to be a smack-smack of a kiss on each side of the cheek. And I've been told that Portuguese and Spanish You can tell the difference between the two because one kisses both sides of the cheek and one the other side of the cheek. We can tell the English, they don't kiss any cheeks. Feeling the kiss of God. We don't maybe think of God in that kind of an intimate, close way. But today I would like you to do that. I would like to come to a portion of scripture that you are probably quite well aware of. Maybe you know it too well. I may have told you the story of when I was talking to a group of children about Noah and the ark. One boy, preacher's kid, stood up and he said, I know everything about this meaning you have nothing to teach me. And so I said to him, how many animals went, like by numbers, how many animals went to the ark? He said very clearly, well, I know, two by two. And I said, no, you're wrong. Oh, I felt so good to be able to say that. (laughs) Because I said, yes, it is true, the unclean animals went in two by two, but the clean went in by sevens. How many didn't know that? See? We are learning today, aren't we? And I trust that in this story too, that it will come alive to us in a way that maybe we haven't quite seen before. I want you to note a theme that comes out of this particular story. And it comes with this thought in mind, that God is not really into religion. 
but he is deeply into relationships. And I say that because as a pastor, many times when people, and I go into all kinds of different groups, they find out that I'm a pastor or a, or someone will call me a priest and I have to correct them on that. And I say, I'm a pastor. They immediately think of the church building and Bibles and structures and sometimes vestments and all that stuff of religion. And they immediately put up barriers. And so I say to them to pull down those barriers because it is a truth. This world is full of religions, rituals, ceremonies, vestments, building. Some have purpose and some don't. But in reality, what God is really into is relationships. And I will say that to them. I'll say, uh, you know, God is not into religion. And they'll be shocked because I'm a pastor saying that. They know, but he's into relationships. Because what is important is not all the stuff of religion in the activities. It's the life that comes out of the practice of our faith in relationship that really matters to God. That is what pulls him to you and you to him. And we come across that thought in the story that we find in John chapter 13. Those last moments of Jesus where especially this last moment, special moment, purposeful moment with his disciples, all 12 of them, the Lord's table, the Last Supper. We find it's the Passover time, the Bible reminds us. It is the time that they uh, now are going to celebrate the deliverance from Egypt, which continued through their time. And as they have um, this particular ceremony and, and remembrance, Jesus, of course, has just come from Bethany, and he has had a woman washing his feet and demonstrating her love for, for God and the importance of Jesus into her life. This Passover meal, Jesus is now coming as the representative, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. And he takes the Old Testament Passover and he moves it into the New Testament Lord's table, communion, the Lord's Supper, as now the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. I'm wondering as we come into this story, what the disciples were talking about as they came into the room. And I want you to be a little spider on the wall, a little fly on the wall, and join me as we go into that room and sit there near, or stand around near those disciples and Jesus and hear and watch everything, and even feel everything that is going on. 
Jesus knew that his time was short. And uh, he comes to this personal moment with great purpose. What were the disciples talking about when they come into the room? Preparations ready? It doesn't exactly say what they were saying as they come into the room, but we hear what their discussions were in the room and probably afterwards a little bit. And it was this. I'm better than you are. I'm more important to Jesus than you are. I'm a better Jewish follower than you are. They were debating their place next to Jesus, the Messiah, setting up a new kingdom. I want to sit next to the throne. I had one on the right hand today and one on the left hand today. They wanted to be near for power, for privilege, for all those wonderful things that come by being next to the leader. They were arguing with each other. What a beautiful Passover. Coming together should be the celebration of deliverance. And their thoughts are far from that and about themselves. We do need to be careful of looking at connection with God as it's all about me. I come to church. What do I get out of it? What does it do for me? The first question always ought to be, what does it do for Him? What does it do for God Because we are here today. We sang songs. What does that do for Him? We read His Word. We prayed together. What does it do for Him? Because if it does something great for Him, it will do something great for me. If I focus on me, It won't do anything for God. And it really won't do anything purposeful for me. And so Jesus comes at this time, knowing the hearts of the disciples. By the way, Judas Iscariot is in the audience. Just keep that in mind. Actually, there are several that are probably in the audience. We could say that there would be uh, the, uh, of course, Jesus, and there would be the disciples, there would be Judas Iscariot, and the question that I have not fully answered, as I've, I've read through all the four Gospels, John is the one who brings this about, is, was Satan in the room. Was he there? Because we know that before this occasion, Satan entered into Judas when he was making plans 
with the church, uh, the religious leaders on how to betray Jesus. We find later on when Jesus has dipped his hand in the bowl that the Bible says Satan enters into Judas, I guess I would say again, as he goes out now to prepare for final betrayal. Was he in the room? What a thought. Because he could be in the midst of where we assemble more than we realize. But in the midst of this, we find that Jesus now is going to be taking a moment in the Gospel of John to mention this particular story of washing the feet. The other, disciple, uh, the other writings don't necessarily say anything about this. This is unique to John's gospel. And so we take a look at this moment in the meal where Jesus then, having been involved in the meal with them, he then takes some robe down, but puts a towel around his waist a basin of water, and he goes disciple to disciple, washing their feet. Now, if you know anything about Jewish custom in the sandy, dusty Israel climate and life, wearing, of course, sandals is what they had, and they would come into the house with dirty feet. The first thing that would happen is that the lowest slave or servant in the Jewish home would have the responsibility of washing everybody's foot and feet before they would go into the house further and, of course, to the meal. Maybe we should just look back here for a second. Do you see how they're sitting around that table? Head towards the food. They must have been Baptists in the learning. Feet towards the other end. And do you notice what we don't notice? That is a row of dirty feet. That's like going to the table with unwashed hands. You know what the parent would say. Before you come to the table, wash your hands. And there's grumbling and moaning. They're not that dirty. Check it out in the whole bit. And the towel is, is quite dirty afterwards. Well, these grown, mature men went into there with dirty feet. What they should have been talking about when they were coming in is, well, who's going to wash our feet here? There's no servant. There's nobody there. Well, Which disciple is lowest on the scale here? Well, they're looking at how high to be, not at how low they are to be. Well, none of those 12 disciples were ready to wash anybody's feet, including the feet of Jesus. The woman in Bethany did. None of his disciples would. And so there they stand. Well, you can see, not quite stand. 
because the food's on the table. And there they are with their dirty feet. Jesus now stands up and takes on the form of the lowest servant in the household and takes the robe and water or the towel and the water and washes their feet astonishing The man who will be king of kings and lord of lords. The new Israel that they were hoping for. The Messiah, the fulfillment of all the prophecies and statements of the scriptures of the Old Testament. The one who would be regal. And if they actually believed it and could grasp it, this is their creator, their God. This is God who is washing their feet. This is a powerful statement that we see from the scriptures. And I would like to tell you that there are some lessons that are coming out of this portion of scripture that I think we need to take a look at. Number one is this. Beware of how much Jesus loves everyone. Not just the good people, not just the good-looking people like, well, you're looking at one. <laughs> not, not, the, not the smartest, well-positioned, or even the most downcast, the most messed up. God loves everyone. And that's why in the life of Jesus, he poured himself out to the world. Children were welcomed. The sick, the disenfranchised were allowed. Women were brought into his presence. Men of sophistication or simple ways of being. Everyone was welcomed to Jesus. We need to be aware of how much Jesus loves everyone. Because it is very easy for us to look at it and say, well, Jesus loves me and he may love you, but I'm not sure we love them. Look at what they do. Look at the way they behave. Look at their lifestyle. Look at their priorities. Look at them as a human being. Because honestly, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves everyone. And I bring this out because of this particular verse that I've looked at several versions And they don't quite get it right, except the Greek does. The English versions, I should say. But this is what it says. This is the New King James Version. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I don't know what you get from that idea of the end. 
end of time, end of whatever, is usually how we would think. Now, I have uh, my own Pastor Steve version, which is below it. It takes the Greek and it tries to bridge it out a little bit better. This is what that verse is saying. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the fullest extent of his love with absolutely no limits. That's what that verse means. This means this is the moment when Jesus was showing in a practical way how much he loves us. Yes, he loves us by dying on the cross. He loves us incredibly by even our own creation and the sustaining of life. But here he is showing how there are no things that he would not reach down to to bring us up. There's nothing that he will take to himself that, that he's willing to take to himself to bring us to himself. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the fullest extent of his love with absolutely no limits. We sometimes have limits with, with how we love. I can love you if you love me. I can love you if you look like me. I can love you if you're as smart or as dumb as I am. You, 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 we often put a limit to it. Notice God's love. He loves his own, and he loved them to the fullest extent of his love with absolutely no limits. This is what this portion says. At the Lord's table, when Jesus portrays himself as the Redeemer, and as he comes now and takes that towel and puts it around his waist and goes down below to the, where the feet are of his disciples, and he washes their grubby feet. Self-centered feet. Not even sure where they stood with sacrifice for the things of God. He bowed down and washed their feet. This is the story of the Lord. He loves everyone. And that's why we come to that very well-known John 3, 16 verse, which you all know well. And if you don't, shame on you. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only sudden son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. He loves everyone. And we need to, with the love of God in us, if we know Jesus is our Savior, 
be ready to let that love flow to everyone. This is the power of a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus, when he washed the disciples' feet, all of them, it's possible that he might have even washed Judas Iscariot's feet if he was still there. Not quite positive, but it could be. Can you imagine the person that is going to betray you? You are ready to care for him and love them to the fullest extent of your love. God is not willing, the Bible says, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That includes me. I say, wow, that's great. And that includes you. We need to be aware of how much Jesus loves us and loves everyone. Because it does give us a different way of way, the way to look at other people. The second thing is to be aware not only of how much Jesus loves everyone, but to be one of his own. It's wonderful to know that God cares. But are you plugging into that? You see, I don't want to be too proud here, but I was an amazing kid. I was a good kid, actually. Uh, now, mind you, I had a very bad temper as a little boy in Azilda. I used to slam the I still remember that. I would have been maybe six years old. I had a flying temper, and I would go out of the back door and slam. I can still see me slamming that screen door shut, and I was six years old. But part of the reason I remember that is because I went to church in the old Berean building, and there Pastor Boyd was doing a children's story, and he talked about two little voices, one on the left and one on the right, and one was saying, uh, you know, you, you know, just go ahead and do it. The other one saying, uh, maybe you shouldn't be doing it. But the one that said, just do it, was just, it said basically, we'll just get mad and show it. <laughs> and I realized I was listening as a little boy to the wrong voice. And you know, I really got victory over that area. Starting at that time, I, I'm very thankful for Mr. Boyd telling that children's story and that I actually got it. But I was a pretty good kid. Went to Sunday school, went to church, got in young people's groups, went to prayer meetings, you know, all those things that are, are part of the, the activities of the church. And though I believed so much, I realized as a 13-year-old kid, that though I was up here, it never came in here. It never entered into my heart until there was a moment when God really spoke through what was happening in my life and I realized I need to ask Jesus to come into my life. Have you come to that place? 
Not how good you are or how well you've done, but have you come to the place to realize that there's this space in your life that only God can fill and he only can fill it through Jesus. And once you've asked him to come into your life and to take your sins away and to be a part of of your life and you can be a part of him and him and you, life is complete. He's there. The reason Jesus came was not only to show you what it's like for him to come and lessons and so on. He came so that he might die on the cross to take your sins away and my sins away so that I could come to him and say, Jesus, be my Savior. Come into my life. I know you are God and I want to be your child and I want you to be my God. I don't want a fracture between you and me. I want the closeness. I want to feel your love to the fullest extent as you have demonstrated you're willing to do through your word. How precious that is. Now, Peter, of course, got struggled in that, and that's his conversation. Wash me, you know, do the whole bit. Head, feet, arms, everything else. She said, no, 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 you're part of me already because you have me into your life. But you know, you need that cleansing. You need that fresh moment to get back on track as we are prone to not. Now, Judas, he needed to be washed completely. Now, we would have thought he, like Peter, would have been one of the gang. I mean, he was treasurer. What church just gives all the money to somebody that isn't part of the team? He was treasurer. By the way, he was a self-seeking treasurer and made sure he got some of the benefits of it. He actually was a miracle worker. Do you remember when Jesus sent out the disciples and they went out and they did various miracles and then came back and told about what they did? Well, do you know who was one of those miracle workers? Was Judas. He actually could see and feel and know the power of God in touching people's lives in a miraculous way. But the Bible warns us That just because you say, Lord, Lord, doesn't mean that he is the savior of your life if you haven't received him. There's a lot of stuff you can do that's good and valuable and seems very empowering and helpful, but that doesn't mean you're one of his own. Jesus was right there. And this is where Judas has a unique place. Judas had this closeness with Jesus. Where Jesus slept, he was nearby. Where Jesus ate, he was nearby. Where Jesus taught, he was nearby. Where he did miracles, he was nearby. He was in the middle of it all. He he was this close to the eternal God. But notice with Judas, he was this close. To Satan. He had the closest between good and evil, right and wrong. And in that, he 
chose evil. He chose evil. The sad story was he did not make this his own. So the third point, every good sermon needs to have three points, right? Third point, but it fits with the text. Be sure to act like one of his own. The Bible says, and you shall love the Lord, I'm not, yes, there it is. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The commandment is love. It's love. Because God is Love. When we receive from God, we receive love. And what? Who in this world does not want love to be loved, to share love? God. But notice the greatest opportunity and weapon that we would have as we face a broken world is not placards. It isn't necessarily petitions, and it isn't necessarily protests, but the greatest impact we will have to this world is expressing love. It's expressing love, because that in that way, we bring God into the equation. We are tempted to battle for our rights. Jesus is willing to battle for the heart. In this world system, it is often how high we can reach for ourselves. But in Jesus' standard, it's how low for others we can stoop. This is what that verse is basically saying to us. And so I come to this particular person, Mother Teresa. I'm sure you've heard of her. And one day a radio announcer once asked Mother Teresa if there was anything he could do for her. And she said, yes, there is. And this is what she said. Find somebody... Nobody else loves and love them. I think that's powerful. That speaks of Jesus. Find somebody nobody loves. Can you think of someone in your community, in your your circle or edge of circle? Find somebody that nobody loves and love them. This is the story of washing the feet. You see, in all these three things, and I'm reading a quote here, you see, foot washing isn't about foot washing. It's about serving others at personal sacrifice, humbling ourselves when we don't have to because we don't have to. It's somebody watching the children of a neighbor who has good reasons for needing to get out of the house 
It is people showing up at another's door with a hot meal on a cold night, knowing that the people in need have lost power. It's about clearing someone's driveway of snow because you know they are not healthy enough to do it themselves. It's listening to someone who needs to talk when you don't have time to listen. It's giving of ourselves when we don't have to. It's walking and talking with Jesus on the road of life we call life. It's about sharing a meal as darkness approaches. It's about washing our lives in the promises of our Savior and being diligent in waking, waiting with Him as the world becomes a dark place. It's about standing at the foot of a cross and in faithfulness standing by an empty tomb as the darkness is lifted and life becomes hopeful once again. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones, to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves us to the greatest extent that the eternal God is able to love us. And likewise, seeks that we would love this world for Jesus in like manner. Shall we do it? Shall we go there? Shall we make this world a better place in the name of Jesus for his glory? And you know, living in a better place is good for us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, into your hands we commit these thoughts that you have planted in us through your word and on our discussions together. We thank you for being the God who is love, has demonstrated that love in the gospel and in life. We have sensed your love time and again. Oh God, may the world looking at us be that love that you have in us as it flows to them. And so give honor to your name Glory to the God who deserves all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.